Hello, and welcome to the part two of the Hannibal story. Um, I want to go ahead and apologize for the quality of the first podcast and my stumbling through it. Um, as I said, we're just now getting used to how podcasts work and how to edit and how all this goes down. Anyways, this episode is probably going to be my favorite of this little mini series. This is where we all really get to get into the nitty gritty of the battles, of the little moments of the people's personalities. It's going to be a lot longer than the last one. It's going to be a lot more in detail. Um, it's going to be researched as always, but mostly through primary resources. The numbers in it um, for uh, numbers of troops there and relative time for when these battles happened um, are going to be estimated. We usually operate with the idea that historians back then exaggerated the numbers. You know, you always want to say, if you're a historian, you know, our people went there and there was like five of us and there was a hundred thousand of the enemy and, you know, we came out victorious. We're awesome. Um, and so you'll see some of that. So the numbers will change and vary quite a bit, but I'll try and explain that and keep a level of um, reasonableness to the numbers. Um, without any further ado, and without any more ums, uh, let's go with part two of the Hannibal story. So in 219 BC, Hannibal of Carthage led an attack on Sagantium. All right, Sigantium is a small independent city in Spain. Um, it's sort of like all these other city-states. It's got its own little area, its own little border, its own little wall. It's not controlled by Carthage, and it's not controlled by Rome. Technically, it's independent. Um, however, they're allied with Rome and kind of protectorates under Rome, meaning that Rome's kind of in charge of taking care of them and they pay a little bit of money to Rome and if Rome really wanted to, they could come in there and take everything over, but they don't because it's easier just to have the people manage themselves. So when Hannibal attacks this uh, small town in Spain, it's sort of his way of starting the war, uh, getting the Second Punic War going. The reason he does this uh, is for several reasons. His main one, of course, is what we talked about in the last podcast. It's, you know, melded into his mind that at some point he's got to get revenge on Rome. The other reason is he kind of needed to set a tone and show the groups that he just finished convincing to join his army uh, that he was serious and that they were going to see action. And he's got to get supplies for what he's about to do. And that's the deal is he starts off in Spain, right? He's in Spain as a general for Carthage, kind of maintaining the Spanish colonies, fighting off Spanish armies with his two brothers, just like his father had. Um, and his plan is, as we all know very well, he wants to form an army, march it over the Alps. Uh, the Romans won't see this coming, hit them in the flanks as a surprise. Pincer movement, it'll be, you know, devastating for the Romans and, you know, an easy victory. And what he's done is he's assembled an army of almost 90,000 infantry. Now, obviously, these numbers are exaggerated, um, but maybe not, but not by that much. 
Because if you're Hannibal and you're looking at what you're about to have to do, you're going to lose guys along the way. And you have to you have to understand that you're talking about over a thousand miles of marching in some of the harshest conditions. We're talking large mountains, what will end up being during the winter, which is horrible. Um, and you're going to have to fight several battles along the way. So to start off with 90,000 infantry and being like, oh, I won't be able to feed them all along the way, you're not going to have to. You're going to get that number knocked down quite a bit uh, just getting there. So he, according to Livy, starts off with about 90,000 infantrymen, 12,000 cavalry, and about 40 elephants. Now, I told you guys at the beginning of this series that I'm not going to get too far into the numbers, and I encourage all of you to just take those numbers in one ear and out the other. However, I think it's important to understand just the scale to which this is a movement. When we're talking 90,000 infantrymen, that's three football stadiums in America. You know, three, that's three, uh, you know, giant professional league football stadiums filled to the brim with people in the States. And he's taking three of those, marching them in a three by three line, you know, a thousand miles. So this is impressive right off the bat. So they raid Sagantium and I mean, they completely loot this city. They, they spend God knows how many days just raiding it, uh, burning it, raping it, taking all the supplies they can get out of it. Uh, partially, he does this just to show the mercenaries early on, like, hey, you stick with me, you're going to make a lot of money, it's going to be a really great time. Um, you know, maybe it was sort of a justification to show everybody that he's serious. And lastly, it's the excuse that Rome needed to be like, hey, we want to start a war with Carthage. And when I say Rome needed an excuse, I do mean Rome needed an excuse. Uh, you know, we talk about how Carthage holds like Rome in a bitterness, but Rome doesn't help with that persona. Rome wants Carthage to hate them. Rome wants, you know, to be a dick about it. Basically they're going in Spain and periodically taking small colonies, small settlements away from Carthage. And they're tar- Every time Carthage, like, you know, complains, Rome is like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We have an army. You don't. What are you going to do? And Carthage is getting very, very tired of this. You know, Rome keeps pushing their luck, keeps demanding more money, keeps... They're making it very hard to, you know, just be like, okay, everything's done. Rome keeps getting greedy. And so Hannibal decides to strike back, takes Sagantium. Rome throws a hissy fit and you know, goes to the Carthage Senate and says, you know, is this a rebel general acting on his own or is this representative of you guys? Are we at war? And uh, the Carthaginian Senate declares war. And, uh, you know, from there, basically, Rome's like, okay, fine. If you want this, let's go. And the Romans immediately have a great battle plan, in my opinion. They're going to do three things very quickly. They're going to take an army and they're going to march it across uh, the land into Spain. Now, the way they're going to do that is they're going to sail around the Alps, hit into the lower part of uh, southern Gaul, modern-day France, and they're going to march the army the rest of the way in. They're going to send another army 
down to Sicily, get trained up, send that over into uh, North Africa and attack there. And by bing, bada, boom, Carthage will get knocked out. And Hannibal, meanwhile, is kind of an unknown. Uh, I believe Rome was kind of expecting to fight him in Spain, fight him in southern Gaul somewhere, sort of have a big battle there, blow out, and you know, lose maybe their army, or maybe not. not. They don't really know. And then, but that second army they have planned to hit North Africa is the killing blow. You know, Hannibal can't be um, a real threat if he doesn't have a home base anymore. So they don't really care about Hannibal. Meanwhile, Hannibal has a completely different plan. And he is going to run as fast as he can with that army. I I say run, but march. As fast as he can with that 90,000 infantry, 12,000 cavalry, and 40 elephants as quick as they can through the Alps into modern-day northern Italy. During so, they're going to lose quite a few guys. Um, you know, after crossing the Alps, Hannibal had gotten into northern Italy with around 12,000 African infantry, about 8,000 Iberian infantry, and about 4,000 cavalry, along with a couple dozen elephants. For those of you who are trying to do the math in your head, he went from 90 to 20 infantry. Obviously, that's exaggerated. He still has mercenary infantrymen in there, along with probably over 8,000 Numidian cavalry. So he's got something around 38,000 infantrymen and something like 80, or not 80, 8,000 cavalry along with a couple dozen elephants. Now, this is a common misconception. People believe that Hannibal lost all but one elephant crossing the Alps. You know, the rest of them died either from frostbite or from malnutrition or from fright or fighting these uh, Gallic tribes. That is not true. He did lose several elephants along the way. Uh, there is talk that maybe some of them were ended up being like food for the troops. It took like three weeks or two weeks to get through the actual main part of the Alpine mountains. And during which time he lost a lot of guys to frostbite, a lot of ravines, a lot of, um, this, that, and the third thing, um, and to avoid cannibalism, I I would imagine they probably ate the horses and the elephants and anything else that they could get on. Um, I think it was Hannibal's brother, Hasdrubal, that I, proposed before they start this mission that they get their troops used to the taste of human flesh because they might have to resort to cannibalism while they are in the mountains. Luckily, there aren't any reports of that actually happening to Hannibal and his army as they go through the mountains. Uh, I feel like if you lose an elephant to frostbite, that'll feed a lot of guys, even if you got, you know, 38,000 of them. Um, Poor elephants, though. So... He gets to the other side, and meanwhile, he's left his brother Hasdrubal in Spain to kind of fight there uh, for Carthage. And he's taken his other brother um, with him to Spain. And the main reason that they kind of split up the team there is... They needed Hasdrubal to stay in Spain in case the Romans either didn't know Hannibal had gone into Italy or in case Hannibal 
like basically didn't make it in there or if they just decide to ignore his existence right so if um that those two armies that the romans had formed one that's planning on going into spain one that's planning on going into north africa they very well might plan to just continue sending on that army from that was planning on to go to spain to just go right into spain and skip over hannibal's army if that's the case then all of carthage's colonies and city-states and protectorates that are in spain will get wiped out by this roman army even if it's not a very good roman army because there's no one there to even lead some sort of half-ditched effort to fight back um that being said hannibal doesn't want to go into a long campaign in enemy territory by himself he brings his brother mago um as well as several other trusting uh or trustworthy generals uh and their basic plan is they're going to get in they're going to cause chaos and after getting to across the alps hannibal had lost all these guys and the romans are like oh we need to deal with this so they send a small force not not an army from either one of those two armies uh the one planning to go to north africa or the one planning to go to spain uh, they have a small force of mostly untrained green troops that they kind of send up to fight uh, Hannibal. Hannibal had immediately, once he got across the Alps, raided uh, several small villages, uh, mostly because his men were starved. They didn't have any supplies, so they just hit the nearest cities that they could. There's also an argument that most of Hannibal's plan was that once he got into Italy and he showed up with his big army, that... A lot of the Gallic tribes that were against the Romans to begin with would, you know, flip-flop and join his side. And that, you know, a lot of the Italian states would kind of come over to his side. And he was basically planning to sort of ignite a revolution within Italy against the Romans. Um, So showing up and hitting these towns right away kind of shows to those Gallic tribes and all those people that, you know... I'm I'm here, I'm ready to fight, I'm serious about this. And the Gallic tribes don't really come over to him right away when he shows up. They wait a while, they kind of take this position of neutrality and wait to see. They don't send a lot of guys to help the Romans, they don't send a lot of guys to help Hannibal, they just kind of wait. Um, and the first major battle, the first major conflict that we'll see between Hannibal and the Romans... And, and this is what Hannibal's after. He wants big conflicts. He wants to hit the Romans hard and make them feel uh, his presence, make them hurt, bleed them. He wants to bleed them dry. He wants to kill as many of them as he can get his hands on so that the Romans break. Um, he, he doesn't seem to want to take over Rome as much as he just wants to cripple Rome back into you know how things were uh post bellum you know before the war or pre bellum before the war uh before the first punic war set things back to the original you know rome is powerful and it runs italy and carthage is powerful and it runs northern africa and spain and he doesn't even care if they keep sicily he just wants things to kind of go back to the way they were instead of having the romans lord over his people so 
after several smaller skirmishes between light Roman cavalry or light uh, Carthaginian cavalry and you know Roman skirmishers and Roman cavalry, uh, there's finally a battle, the Battle of the Trebia. And the reason it's called the Battle of the Trebia is because this battle will occur over a river called the Trebia. Um, it's not they're not fighting for the river, but they decide to fight the battle in between the river. And the way this battle starts is genius. Uh, Hannibal is an absolute genius general. And he doesn't get credit for that yet, but the Romans are going to learn very quickly uh, just who they're dealing with. And one of the first things that he does is he takes his light infantry with javelins, or light cavalry with javelins, and sends them across several rivers over to the Roman encampment. The Romans are in or camping in and if you're a fan of roman history you know this well when romans go on campaign they're half soldier half construction worker they build fortifications everywhere they go and we when we discover them all the time it's one of the most famous archaeology sites uh anywhere you go is if the romans campaign there you'll probably find the remnants of one of their forts Every day, well, whenever they're camping, they'll set up, you know, a wall with palisades and, you know, towers to shoot arrows out of. And, you know, they, they really get into it. They dig a ditch. They put up walls. Um, and, and the longer they stay there, the longer their uh, fortifications get better. Um, they, they'll build, like, several layers of walls. So they'll put up a wall and then they'll do another wall, you know, 40 feet away. And another wall around that 40 feet away. And so you end up with what looks like almost like a medieval, um, you know, citadel of multiple walls, multiple towers, you know, multiple levels you have to fight through. Uh, they'll dig a ditch and then eventually they'll put spikes in the ditch and then they'll eventually fill the ditch up with water all around these walls. Um, yeah, they, they make it almost very much impenetrable right out the gate. And Hannibal has no intention of messing with that instead what he does is he takes his light infantry and he has them harass uh the roman troops in the walls early early in the morning um like first thing in the morning you know you wake up you're standing on the wall you know just looking out waiting for people to show up you see you know a couple hundred riders come up and approach and you're like oh what's this and they start throwing spears at you they start whipping spears at you and um one of the things we have to note here is previously uh, a man by the name Publius Cornelius Scipio had led a smaller force to kind of skirmish against um, Hannibal and his forces, and he had gotten injured in one of these skirmishes. And so although he's one of the consuls for Rome, he is injured and he cannot lead the men. Um so his second-hand man takes over uh, the leading, and his name is Tiberius Sempronius Longius, and he gets provoked into this battle. And the way it happens is just horrible. Like, those light infantrymen show up. They start throwing javelins, start throwing spears, start shooting arrows, you know, and it's, it's more of a minor nuisance to the guys standing on the wall, but... It's enough to where uh, Longius gets kind of rattled, and he decides to just take his whole army out and chase these guys. 
you know, he sends out Calvary a couple times, and, you know, they chase off the guys, and the guys just follow him right back the second Calvary turns back around. And so eventually he's just like, all right, fine. And he leads his whole army out in pursuit of these light infantry guys. Um, we're talking about about 40,000 troops in total. Now, where this number gets a little fluctuate, what you have to consider is, A, we're talking about a lot of Italian allies in this army. Um you know, you're talking more about a core group of probably less than 10,000 actual Romans. And then the rest are made up of Italian allies, uh, Gauls who have been inducted into the army, or, you know, just light skirmishers who are actually going to retreat right behind the actual heavy infantry once the fighting starts, um, as well as probably 6,000 cavalry, all either Gallic or Roman. And meanwhile, on Hannibal's side, his cavalry is probably twice the size of what the Romans bring to the battle, uh, made up at least over half of Numidian cavalry, probably around 8,000 Numidian, about 4,000 actually uh, Carthaginian or African. And when these two armies meet, what's going to have happened is the Romans are going to have marched for about three hours, uh, three to four hours, in the morning, in the freezing cold. You got to remember, this is the uh, winter time in front of the Alps. So it's pretty cold. They're going to have marched for about three hours, not having had breakfast, in the cold, very little prepared. They can't panic rush, put on your armor as quick as you can, get out there, get in formation, right? And they're going to have to march through several rivers, get wet, in the cold, you know, it's snowing. It's snowing. It's There's snow dust blowing in the wind as far as uh, the personal memoirs of what happened at this battle. And so they're going to show up to a battle that Hannibal had set up. Hannibal, meanwhile, is keeping his soldiers by the fires. He's having them dress in thick layers. He's having them cover themselves in animal grease to trap in the heat. Of the fires, you know, he's leaving them where it's warm and where it's comfortable, making sure they eat for as long as possible before the Romans show up. You know, any little advantage he could give himself, like he always did. And then finally, he set for his brother, Mago. Mago comes up, and Mago is told he has to select a um, hundred of his uh, best infantrymen and a hundred of his best. Uh, Calvarymen, and then each one of them are supposed to select 10 of their uh, best uh, infantrymen and best cavalrymen. And from that group of 1,100 infantrymen and 1,100 cavalrymen, they take them and they hide them in the marsh of this river. Um, of course, they do this quietly and so that the Romans don't know. The Romans show up to the battle, they're already cold, they're already kind of winded from getting there, and they march across the river to push the battle. Now, to explain why they're pushing this battle when they're so disorganized, you have to understand, in Roman politics, you were only consul for a year, all right? Longius is one of the consuls. Scipio is the other consul. Scipio is injured and he's telling uh, Longius not to push the battle, to wait, have the uh, Carthaginians come to you 
you know, you're, you're in better odds then. And you gotta remember, Scipio had kind of already seen how Hannibal and his troops fight, and so he kind of knew, yeah, you might want to wait. Um, Longius, however, knows that he's up for re-election soon. He wants to get this battle going. He wants to have a quick victory. He wants to ride back into Rome and say, I was the champion. I led the army. Forget about Scipio. Scipio didn't do anything. He doesn't deserve any credit. It's all me. You know, and this is a theme in Roman society that will come back to bite them time and time again is sometimes generals are doing things more for political reasons than tactical reasons. So for one reason or the other, uh, Sempronius Longius leads his army across this river and to attack the uh, Carthaginian line. Now, the Carthaginian line has Numidian cavalry and elephants on its wings and a light infantry skirmishers in the middle with heavy infantry uh, soldiers in the back. Um, those Numidian cavalry, along with the elephants, we're not sure how many elephants, uh, will swing onto the wings of the Roman army and attack their cavalry and wipe them off the map relatively early in the battle. The infantry will continue to push forward to make contact with the Carthaginian infantry, um, which they will do, and they'll start slaughter, but where things get a little bit messy, where, you know, the Numidian cavalry is kind of blocked up in a battle, the infantry is blocked up against the Roman infantry, and everything's kind of going one way or the other. Then all of a sudden, Mago comes from uh, his hidden position just in time, just after the Romans have pushed past his uh, hidden spot with his 2,200 uh, hidden soldiers, and they hit the Romans in the flank. And then when the Romans realize they're being hit in the flank, on the sides, and in the front, they panic, they run. This is where things become horrific. This is when it becomes less of a battle, more of a massacre. And that's true for almost all of ancient battles. Once one side turns and runs, that's when they are really inflicted with casualties. You know, when you have two lines of guys, you know, everybody's armored up, you know, covered in chainmail, covered in plate. And armor and they have spears and they have swords and they all clash against each other and they got their shields up you see a surprisingly few number of casualties during this it's when one side decides oh we're gonna lose and they all turn and run now they're no longer putting up their shields now they're no longer putting up their swords to fight back now they're exposing their backs and they're running and Hannibal sends his Numidian and African cavalry after them and just slaughters them um, either they got hit, they got slowed down by the river that they had originally crossed and the cavalry easily caught up to them there. And something like out of the 40,000 Romans that went to fight Hannibal there, uh, somewhere around 10,000 made it out. Um, Longius will die there. Uh, his son will try and save him, fail. And Scipio will escape. Um, and this is sort of Rome's first taste on what Hannibal's tactics are going to be, how the battle is going to be fought. The Romans that Hannibal captures that he didn't kill, he'll immediately sell into slavery. Um, by selling them into slavery, he'll make enough money to continue to feed and provide for his army as well as hire new mercenaries. Uh, he'll start to see some Gallic tribes join his forces and kind of bolster his numbers. 
um, which will contribute to the change in numbers over the next few years. Um, the Romans, however, say, you know, most of those troops that we sent out were green troops. They were inexperienced. You know, they turned tail, they ran. They were led by a hot-headed general. And, you know, it's not a fair test. You know, so they pulled that army that they had down in uh, Sicily training back up to come deal with the Hannibal problem. The army that's going over into Spain will kind of split forces. Some of them will come back. Some of them will go on into Spain um, where Hasdrubal, Hannibal's brother, will uh, deal them a very deadly sort of uh, guerrilla warfare. And Hannibal will spend the rest of the year raiding small villages that are still loyal to Rome, uh, providing for his army, bolstering his numbers with Gallic tribes and deserters and, you know, escaped slaves from the Romans. Um, but, and the Romans, meanwhile, will form a new army prepping to deal with the Rome, or deal with Carthage in the following year. And that, and that's the other thing we have to note is this happened right before uh, winter kind of hit the Italian peninsula. And during winter, nobody really marches their armies around very much. There aren't any major battles in the middle of winter um, just because of the dangers of hypothermia and moving supplies and everything else. Everybody kind of hunkers down for the winter. Um, so you'll see several smaller skirmishes uh, between the Romans and Hannibal again uh, once the year starts up. Uh, but what you will see the most of is um, finally you get this big army that's coming to deal with Hannibal again. Um, and, it, and it's got a surprisingly similar theme to the last one. Uh, they show up with way more infantry than the Roman or than the Hannibal's forces have. Uh, still not enough cavalry to outnumber Hannibal's cavalry. And they will set themselves up on one side of a lake in a fort, and Hannibal will be on the other side in a fort. Um, and this lake is called Lake Trasimene. If that name rings a small bell in your head, it's because there's another massacre that's about to occur. What happens next is reminiscent of sort of Greek fable or, you know, really a fable you'll hear throughout time of where things kind of narrow, where the straits narrow and, uh, somebody just completely just gets screwed over. I, I'm, I'm building this too, up too much. All right. So what happens is the Romans know where Hannibal is. Hannibal knows where the Romans are. Hannibal sends small forces to harass the Romans. The Romans come out to attack the uh, Carthaginian forces on the other side of the lake. To do so, they have to cross the lake. They cross it on the northern side. And the northern side basically has a narrow road that runs in between the mountains and the hills of the mountains and the lake. Hannibal, knowing that this is the way the Romans would go, set most of his infantry um, and some of his cavalry on the top of the hill that follows along the road. So the Romans are marching down this narrow little road and you know, however many feet up the side of a hill are the Carthaginian heavy infantry, their uh, rock slingers and their javelin throwers, and the, you know the cavalry's probably set in like the little crest of the two hills on one side, and the Romans don't see them coming. 
You know, the Romans don't know that they're there. Romans are historically bad at scouting out places in advance before they march into them. This is not um, an exception to that. They don't know that the Carthaginians have set up another ambush, not unlike Mago's ambush. And uh, the Carthaginians are basically waiting for the Romans. The Romans are walking their army in a three-man abreast, long, strung outline down this, you know, lake passage. And right as the last unit, the last, uh, you know, little block of soldiers, I wouldn't call them um, legions yet, but uh, right after the last group of Romans enter the narrow gap between the mountains and the uh, lake, uh, the first group of soldiers of the Romans that is marching will just be getting to the end of the lake. All right, that's how strung out these guys are. It's it's probably a late or it's probably a little over a mile, mile and a half long, of a string of guys that we're talking about, and the Romans are just marching, you know, three by three, three by three, all the way through, and they get hit in the front by a mixture of light infantry and light cavalry of the Carthaginians. And so they stop. And so as the forces are rushing forward, all of a sudden, from the hills that were just quiet a second ago, the densely forested hills, comes out running just the entire, you know, 30, 40,000 man army of the Carthaginians uh, infantry. And the Romans do not have enough time to form up a battle line. They have to fight hand-to-hand combat against an enemy they two seconds ago didn't even know was there. The enemy had the high ground. It ran in on them with force. And very, very quickly, uh, the Roman morality in the battle uh, breaks. And they start to root. And people in the Roman army will run out the backside. Hannibal didn't block the... um, back in so a lot of the armies that kind of hit and then realize what's happening they kind of or a lot of the troops kind of get back out the same way they came in a lot of them will run themselves into the lake of lake trasimene and drown there because they're wearing army armor Ugh. and most of them will get slaughtered um they'll lose somewhere around half of their overall force um with about 30,000 Roman troops starting the battle. They lost about 15,000 to deaths or drowning in the lake. Um, About 10,000 will make it back to Rome and about 5,000 will be captured by Hannibal and sold into slavery. Um, Now, one of the interesting things, and I think it's worth noting here is uh, after this battle, the Romans will take a policy of avoid um, Hannibal and his deadly army. They'll realize that he's kind of invincible, that you know he's sprung two ambushes on us in a row. He's destroyed Roman armies and suffered very few casualties. He's invincible. He's impossible to beat. We can't beat him. We must avoid him. And that's what they'll do. They'll have this big army of Carthage that will kind of wander around Italy trying to provoke a fight constantly and you know Italian allies will come out and pledge their allegiance to him which is exactly what he wanted but then you know the Romans will send out a little group here and there to 
attack this city that had turned uh, to Hannibal's side. And now, because Hannibal has promised to protect those cities, he's got to go over there and stop them, and then go over here and stop them. And, and so instead of having one big army that the Romans send out to face Hannibal for a, several years, uh, they'll instead send out a dozen or so smaller armies that will attack in this place, attack in that place, threaten the Hannibal's line here, threaten the Carthage line there. And, you know, Hannibal will, will spend the entire time running around trying to put out each one of these little individual fires. And he'll be so distracted with this that the Romans can kind of rebuild um, their armed forces and re-recruit and train their army. And they'll actually be able to launch um, a army into North Africa eventually. And... You know, they'll, they'll be able to kind of get back to a semblance of normal. And it's not a bad tactic when you consider that Hannibal has no resupply. Uh, he has no way to resupply his troops, no way to resupply his forces. You know, after that first battle, the Battle of uh, the Trevia, he loses almost all of his elephants except for one. And that's the one that he's characterized riding around Italy on, right? And he won't be able to resupply with more elephants. He won't be able to resupply with more troops. He won't be able to um, do get more money. He won't be able to do anything except for what he finds within the Italian land. So they make it very difficult for him to continue raiding, to make any connection. Because you have to remember, Rome didn't let Carthage rebuild their navy after the First Punic War. And so Rome controls the oceans during the Second Punic War. And... There's no resupply that's coming that's going to hit Italy in the boot because that's why Hannibal had to cross the Alps in the first place. He couldn't sail into Italy by himself. He had to march there. Um, it, people like to say that it was a surprise tactic. They would have never seen it coming. Yeah, you also lose half your force getting there. There's a reason that people thought that it was impassable. It's because it's really hard to pass through. If he had ships, he probably would have used them, but he didn't. That's why he had to go through the Alps in the first place. So there is no resupply coming. So if they can outweigh Hannibal, it's a winning tactic. But of course, the Romans get impatient. They were never ones for passive strategy anyway. And eventually, they will get tired of this tactic. And they will decide to drop the Fabian strategy, which is the strategy of avoiding him, attacking his flanks, and, you know, attacking small villages that he promised to protect, and instead uh, decide to have a big battle again against him. Um, this is the Battle of Canae. This battle is well known. Um, it will be led by several different Roman generals, uh, including Gaius, Tyrrhenius, Vero, Lucius, Amulius, Paula, and Servius Geminius. Um, they are not that important. But what is important is the Roman tactic. They wanted to try something different this time. First off, they have more Roman infantry than we've ever seen in any of these battles before. Um, they have something like 86,000 men. 86,400 men. 80,000 of which are infantry. 6,400 of which are cavalry. Um, meanwhile, uh, 
Hannibal's forces have swelled too from the initial forces they brought in across the mountains. He has gained a lot of Gallic allies, and he is now up to 32,000 heavy infantry, 8,000 light infantry, and 10,000 cavalry. Now, if you are looking at those numbers, it's coming out to about 40,000 infantry for Hannibal and 80,000 infantry for the Romans. So Hannibal is facing a force twice his size. But he does have one advantage, which is his cavalry outnumbers the Roman cavalry. All right, They only have 6,000, he has 10,000. So Hannibal has a one tactic and the Romans have another, and they basically are the exact opposite. The Romans plan to take their 80,000 infantry, put them in one big square block, right? We talked earlier about how their lines could stretch out for a mile, two miles, three miles, you know, not this one. This one's going to be blocked in, all right? It's going to be like if you took a football field and we're like, okay, we're going to stack everybody one behind the other, in it, and it's just going to be one giant brick that we're going to use as like a sledgehammer, as a ram to just break through the Carthaginian line, break it, and then split it into individual fighting, and, and you know, we'll finally defeat this uh, invincible uh, Carthaginian general. And Hannibal is, on the surface, feeding into this, right? He stretches his army out nice and long, all right? He gives it a strong center core of... Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, he doesn't. He gives it a strong outer wings of his African infantry, of guys he knows he aren't going to break. They're Carthage. Um, they're loyal to him. They're not going to break. And then in the middle, he puts the Gallic tribesmen and the light infantry and the skirmishers. And then on the far, far, far wings, he puts the, inf- uh, he puts the cavalry, the Numidian cavalry largely, and some African cavalry in there. And Hannibal will actually get off of his horse. He usually fights in the cavalry battles, and he will fight on foot in the middle of his line of infantry. And what's going to happen is the Roman ram of 80,000 guys is going to smash into the center of that line of uh, African Carthaginian mercenary soldiers, right? And... Hannibal had put some of the weakest troops in the middle. He put the scrimmagers, he put the mercenaries, he put the Gallic tribesmen who kind of like to run anyway, um, right in the middle. And what happens is immediately they start to give way, right? They, you know, they're backing up, they're giving ground as the, you know, this force of just 80,000 men just push against, uh, you know, that, that small, weak, soft core of guys. Meanwhile, the strong, heavy infantry is swinging in on the wings and closing in on the brick, on the square of Roman soldiers and surrounding them. All of this while there's a small Numidian cavalry battle happening behind all this, where the 10,000 Carthaginian cavalry smash into the 6,000 Roman cavalry and wipe them off the map. You know, there's a big battle, but then they just wipe them off. And so what you've got is the Romans are facing enemies on three sides. Heavy infantry on one side, heavy infantry on the other side, light infantry in the front, and then all of a sudden, boom, in the back, what's left of the cavalry that had just wiped off the Roman cavalry, all those Numidian cavalrymen, all those African cavalrymen, uh, smash into the back of the Roman line. And all of a sudden, the Roman 
you know, ram that was going to smash through the Carthaginian line all of a sudden stops. It stops. All of its forward momentum is cut out because now they're having to stop, turn around, and face the Numidian cavalry that's coming in behind them. They're having to stop, turn 90 degrees, and face the heavy infantry on their right. They're having to stop, turn 90 degrees, and face the uh, Carthaginian infantry on their left. And they're still in the same conflict as they have always been with the light infantry in the front. And now the Romans are completely surrounded. And this is one of those things that makes Hannibal famous. Because in general, as far as military tactics go, you do not surround a force that is larger than you when you have the smaller force. But Hannibal does, and he suffocates the Romans into this square. From that square, he spends the entire day killing everyone. And I mean he kills everyone, I mean he kills everyone he takes a whole day and kills 48,200 people they're surrounded they can't go anywhere he will lose several thousand people just in the killing he'll probably be down about 3,000 guys when they finally make the full encirclement and trap the Romans um, on all sides and he'll lose another 2,000 you know 3,000 guys in the slaughtering of the guys he has surrounded. Meanwhile, the Romans will lose 48,000 of the 68,000 that went. Another 19,000 will get captured. I know some of you are doing the math in your head and like, that doesn't make sense. I know. Um, And then about 14,000 will escape. Um, We do know that the 14,000 that escape is relatively accurate. We do know that Hannibal captured several thousand, um, and we do know that the rest of them are dead. However, um, there is a lot of disagreement on who got captured and sold into slavery versus who just got killed outright. You also have to calculate for all of the 68,000 Romans that went to that battle. They probably also had servants um, back at camp who were taking care of them, cooks, people that drove the wagons and all the supplies that they needed. And so you're talking about well over 100,000 people that were there. So it could very well be that these numbers are spot on and that, you know, he killed 48,000 guys, sold another 19,000 to slavery, and 14,000 escaped. Who knows? What does happen, though, is Rome panics. All right, first off, Hannibal isn't that far away from Rome. He's about uh, less than two days' march to the city of Rome. All right, Rome had put all their eggs in one basket. They had sent out an army of 68,000 people. All right, this is probably one-eighth, one-ninth of the total population, easily two-thirds of the fighting population in Rome that is now dead on a battlefield or captured waiting to see what's going to happen to them. And the news gets back to Rome, and first off, Romans think nobody survives. They, they don't think anyone made it out of that circle alive. They think everybody's dead. And they have no one to protect the walls of Rome. So they're slapping, you know, they start dropping the age of recruitment from 18 down to 17, down to 16, trying to get anybody into uniform they can get into uniform. They start putting slaves, they free gladiators and put them in armor. They start raiding temples and putting, you know, uh, old, ancient armor of 
Gallic tribes that they had defeated onto slaves and giving them a spear and saying, hey, if you fight well, you know, we'll give you your freedom. And they're just doing, they're putting everybody, everybody they can into, you know, panic mode because this is war. Like, as far as they're concerned, Hannibal's going to show up, he's going to siege the city, and this is going to be the end of the Roman story. And so the Romans are ready to go out, you know, kicking and screaming. And there, there will be talk in the Senate floor of, you know, well, we should just evacuate the city. We should get our people out of this. And if you're a Roman senator, you're not thinking about the grace and dignity of Rome. You're thinking about, man, how do I get my wife and my children out of this place? But to their credit, the Senate will stand their ground and tell the people, you are not going to leave the city. Nobody is allowed to evacuate the city. We're going to stay here. We're going to fight. And Hannibal will actually message the city of Rome, the Senate, and say, hey, you know, I got 19 plus thousand of your troops uh, captured. I'll sell them back to you. And Rome tells them, no, we're not going to negotiate with you. We're not going to give you money. We're not going to discuss anything with you until you're off of our land. And to Rome's credit, that's very, very bold considering they just lost 48,000 you know, possibly one-third to one-half of their fighting population to this general in a day. They lost it in a day. Um, This is a death toll, by the way, that we won't see again until the First World War. 48,000 people died in a day. Anyways, so Hannibal has this opportunity, right? If I march on the city of Rome, I can siege it. Um, you know, sit outside the walls and wait and eventually, you know, conquer Rome. But he doesn't really want to conquer Rome. You have to remember, he doesn't want to take over Rome and Italy. He just wants things to go back to normal. He wants Rome to stay where they are, Carthage to stay where they are, and everybody leave everybody alone. So he doesn't. So Rome is sitting here panicked, waiting for, you know, the army to show up on the horizon any second now, and Hannibal doesn't march on the city. Now, there is some argument that, you know, Hannibal's army wasn't really set up for a long-term siege and that they might actually lose more people to lack of supplies and famine than the Romans would, and it wasn't conducive to what he was after. But either way, most historians agree that this was Hannibal's major mistake, not marching on the city. Hannibal will spend several years in the city, or not in the city, in the peninsula of Italy. Um, They will take back their, Romans will take back their original tactic of avoiding him and attacking him in small, weak places, uh, using the Fabian strategy, and uh, avoiding his giant, undefeatable army for as long as possible. Eventually, he will get recalled back to northern uh ugh, north africa because his main city of carthage is being attacked by a roman army um led by scipio the younger um scipio the younger if you guys remember uh will actually be the son of cornelius scipio the guy who fought uh hannibal at the beginning of this war it is arguable that over the past 15, 16 years of campaign that Hannibal had done in the Italian peninsula, Scipio the Younger had 
fought in at least one of the major battles against Hannibal, had watched Hannibal's tactics, had watched Roman's tactics, and when he went to North Africa and attacked Carthage, he was expecting Hannibal to return home. And Hannibal does. He hops on ships with his army, his mercenary army, his uh, you know, veteran army, people who've been fighting in Italy for you know, 17 years. And they return to North Africa to face Scipio the Younger and his army. Scipio the Younger, when he got there, he was actually faced by a Carthaginian army. Um, and he will use the tactic of a night attack, which for modern day forces who fight in modern day theaters of war is terrifying. You don't like fighting at night in general because you don't know what's going on. It's hard to keep track of what's going on on a battlefield in the daytime, much less what's happening at night when everything's on fire. Um, but Scipio will use this tactic to attack the Carthaginian forces in North Africa and destroy their army before the battle actually even begins. Hannibal will show up and fight a battle against uh, young Scipio. Um, they will basically trade tactics from the Battle of Cannae. Hannibal will stack his infantry up into a nice tight ram and try to smash it into Scipio's line. Scipio will string out his line. And the important thing to note here is Scipio will have gone to the Numidians and have gathered them as his allies while Hannibal was gone. And so Hannibal shows up with, you know, 6,000 Numidian cavalrymen and Scipio has like 12,000. Scipio went right to the source and was like, hey, Numidia, ally with Rome and we'll help you take over over Carthage and you guys can have like half the land and you can kind of run things and X, Y, and Z, right? And so Scipio makes that alliance and now he has a Numidian cavalry that outnumbers Hannibal's. Hannibal smashes his little ram-like unit into the Roman line and Scipio uh, copies his tactics almost exactly, surrounds them, has his cavalry wipe off Hannibal's cavalry. Hannibal will lose 20,000 of his soldiers or so um, and the Romans will lose something like 1,500 of theirs. It'll be a huge, great victory for Scipio um it'll earn him the title Scipio Africanus um which will make him famous throughout time and uh make his family name famous and it will break Hannibal Hannibal will lose his army and he will escape into uh exile his he'll never return to Carthage and instead he'll spend most of his time in the Seleucid Empire or the Greek Empire or one of the Greek city-states or, you know, somewhere out to the east, always helping somebody with tactics and battle plans on how to fight the Romans. And always with, like, this weird hit squad of Roman investigators that are always looking for him. You know, if they ever find him, they're going to kill him, but they never quite do. And he lives into old age, still trying to attack the Romans and never quite succeeding. Um, meanwhile, Rome will siege Carthage. Carthage will surrender to Rome. Rome will levy, you know, even greater taxes upon, uh, Carthage. Carthage will give in. Um, this will go on for several years. Eventually there will be the third Punic War. Um, 
you know, Carthage really won't want that war. They'll lose the rest of their colonies in Spain. Um, and that will be when the Romans finally show up, set fire to Carthage, burn the city to the ground, kill all the people, sow the soil with salt. And that will be the end of the Carthaginian virgining empire. And it will also be the elimination of the last real great force that the Romans faced for a very long time. You know, equal force. Equal force is a better way to put it. When they go into Greece, they send one army, and that one army defeats them. When they go into minor Asia, Asia Minor, and fight, you know, the Egyptians, the Seleucids, uh, the Israelites, all those people, uh, they'll send one army. Immediately an army led by Pompey the Great, but one army. You know, when they go into Gaul, it'll be one army led by Caesar. When they go into Spain, they'll actually send several armies into Spain. Spain's a hell of a place. But they never really fight any place with all of their intensity. You know, they'll fight each other in civil wars that are horrible and bloody going all out. But they'll never again have to fight somebody all out with everything they have like they did have against the Carthaginians. Um, At least not until the end of, you know, the Western Empire of the Romans. Will they ever have to fight that hard again? Hope you guys enjoyed it. That was our second and final um, installment of the Hannibal story. Um, This wasn't too much longer. I'm happy, actually, that I got through it all and I kept it pretty quick-paced. I'd love to hear back feedback. Thank you all so much for listening.